like three months' worth of, of preaching here. So we're very familiar with you all uh, and it feels uh, great to be here uh, permanently now. So that's, that's wonderful. We've moved in. We moved in on Friday and uh, a lot of stuff is out of boxes now but there's still a lot of stuff in boxes. So um, that will be an ongoing task over the few weeks. Uh, but yes, we're very happy in the manse uh, right next door. It was a very short trip to church this morning as opposed to how it is usually. Uh, a couple of matters of housekeeping. Uh, I've also got the pleasure of announcing that in two weeks' time we'll be having my first baptism that I'll be involved with and that is uh, my wife Jill. Now I should probably mention, as some of you may be curious as to why Jill hasn't been baptised previously, uh, she grew up in Anglican churches and we have been involved heavily with Anglican churches uh, for most of our uh, married life and while we were dating. So there was not much opportunity there to uh, get baptised again as they don't officially recognise uh, that kind of baptism. So, uh, and we haven't been involved with the Baptist church where we feel, felt comfortable with her being baptised again but because we have been embraced here uh, she's very happy to go ahead and so that will be happening in two weeks time and my father uh, who's also a minister has done baptism classes with her and he will be here on that date and uh, baptising her and I'll be involved in that as well. So there you go, uh, two weeks in and I've already got a baptism marked out so there you go. Uh, two other items of housekeeping quickly. Uh, Monday is my day off, I've designated that, and I don't have any uh, home phone yet at the moment and until Tuesday. That'll be hooked up then, so if you need to contact me. I believe I will start having access with the office phone. So if you know that number, which I don't, but I soon will, uh, you can call that one and I should be there to pick up. All right, so uh, that's it. All right, well, let us speak with our Lord and then we'll have a look at his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you are a gracious God and we thank you for the way that you have shown that by giving us your word. It is a wonderful privilege to know the sound of your voice, to have it written down here before us and to have confidence that what it says is true and reliable. We thank you for this Gospel of John that is so powerful, such simple language but such profound truth. And we need your insight, Lord, to understand it. We pray that you will give us much of your Holy Spirit this morning that we will be convicted by your word, that we may be strengthened in the faith and that we may go from here today uh, strengthened for this week and built up and edified. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we all have different responses to people, don't we? When we meet someone we have a different response and uh, one person who seems to make big contrasts with different people, for me, is the actor Kevin Costner. I love Kevin Costner films. It's one of those things, uh, I don't know what it is about him, but any film that he pretty much brings out, I love. But he's one of those Hollywood celebrities who's often seen to be doing great flops, you know, the, 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 the flops of the movie industry. But whenever I see a Kevin Costner film, I love them. It doesn't matter what he does. You know, Waterworld, where the world is covered in water. It's just fantastic. What a concept. And paper's such, such value in it. And, of course, paper for me, you know, with books, it's of immense value. So I can sympathise with that as well. And The Postman, that great epic that goes on, you know, where communication is restored to a war, war-torn world. It, it values communication. Such good concepts there. And even, I, I'm not into sport, but even the ones that he does about sport I love as well. There's one um, where he does about baseball for love of the game and he, I get really involved in that. Tin Cup as well and, and it's about golf and yet 
I, I, I don't like sport at all, but with him, for some reason, I love them. I love Kevin Costner films, but for some people, they're great flops. They, uh, and ever since Dances with Wolves, they've sort of written him off. Anything that he brings out, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And other people are a bit indifferent to him. So Jill doesn't mind him, she doesn't despise him, she doesn't hate him, but she doesn't you know, particularly like him in the way that I do, but she was happy to sit there and watch them with me. So people have different responses to Kevin Costner, and I think we have different responses to all kinds of people in our lives. Whenever we meet them, uh, some people immediately you take to, other people sort of don't take to that person. And so it is with Jesus Christ as well. He is a person, as we looked at last time I preached here, and we people have different responses to him. They react differently to him. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in John's Gospel, chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles there, have them open. If you've got a Black Pew Bible, it's page 1049, 1049. And we'll be looking through this passage at the different responses that people have to Jesus Christ. Because John is sort of giving a sum up of, of the Gospel here and he's, con- he's summarising the different responses that people have in a couple of places in this passage that we've had read to us. And really they can be divided, the people, into two groups. There's two groups that uh, have responses and the first group that we're introduced to is the darkness and they're there in verse 5 of chapter 1, verse 5. Verse 5 reads, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. We've got this group here called the darkness and they don't understand the light. Who is the light? Well, of course, the light is Jesus Christ. The light came into the world. We know this from when we looked at this last time. So Jesus is the light there. How does the darkness react to the light? How does the darkness react to Jesus Christ? It says there in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness does not understand Jesus Christ. But that word understand there, it can actually be translated a different way as well. And if you've got an NIV translation there, you've got a little footnote, letter A. By now you might have cottoned on that I like footnotes. Um, Footnote, letter A there, follow it down and it says, or darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It could also be translated the word overcome there. And some scholars debate about which one is the right translation here, but a number actually say that it is John being deliberately ambiguous. He likes this. He likes to sometimes latch onto words that can be translated a couple of different ways and to try and put those meanings in together. And so the darkness here really is doing that. It's, it's, it's not understanding Jesus Christ, so it doesn't comprehend Jesus Christ, but it also doesn't overcome Jesus Christ. It tries to swallow up Jesus Christ. It tries to put out the light. That's what darkness does. It tries to swallow up the light. But here we have John saying that the darkness doesn't swallow up Jesus Christ. It doesn't swallow up the light here. It cannot do it. Who is the darkness then? We've got this darkness that's trying to overcome the light. Who is the darkness? Well, it's the opposite of light then. And so... If Jesus Christ is the light, then it's everything opposed to God. It's everything that's trying to overcome Jesus Christ. It's everything that's trying to swallow him up or everything that's not understanding Jesus Christ, if we take the other translation of the the word. So it's everyone that's opposed to God. Who is that? Well, of course, you've got the the realms of evil. You've got the devil and the demons. They're opposed to, to Jesus Christ as well. But, of course, it would include humanity as well all those who are opposed to Jesus Christ who are humans. And this is where we get two divisions. So we've got this big group of the darkness 
Then we've got two divisions within that group of the darkness. And we've got two divisions and they're presented for us in verse 10. So we've got the darkness as one big group and then we've got two divisions within the group of the darkness and that's mankind. And we see the first one is in verse 10 and that is the world. This is division number one of the darkness. The world. It says there in verse 10, He was in the world, that is Jesus Christ, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Now that verse is a little confusing for one reason, that the word world there can mean two different things within the one verse. The word world can mean earth and the word world can also mean humanity. And so we've got both meanings there happening in the one verse. So the verse 10 reads, he was in the world, which is really the earth. So Jesus was in the world, he was in the earth. And though the world was made through him, humanity was made through him, the world did not recognise him. So we've got mankind there not recognising Jesus Christ. And so people can't say that Jesus didn't come to them. We've got humanity as a whole, Jesus coming into the world, he is there amongst them, he witnesses to humanity every day, even those places that do not have the scriptures before them, he is witnessing to them in creation every day, as they look up at the sky, he is witnessing to them that God exists, that he is there, but they do not recognise him as God. And then of course when he comes into the world as Jesus Christ, they're not recognising him as God either. And so we see this in the Gospels as well. We see an example of people of the world not recognising Jesus Christ. We see that most clearly as one person is Pilate. He doesn't recognise Jesus as God, as the light, as the creator. And this is a great tragedy. Why is it a great tragedy that such people do not recognise God? Well, John tells us, verse 10, why is it a tragedy that they do not recognise him? He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. It's a terrible tragedy that these people are made by God, are made by Jesus Christ, yet they do not recognise him. They do not recognise him as their creator. This is something that is a tragedy. And we can see that with uh, people who do not recognise their own parents. Someone who's made them, but they don't recognise them. There was a movie I watched recently, I couldn't remember what was that, I think it was Jodie Foster, but I don't have the internet because I've moved and so I couldn't double check. But where her child was uh, was kidnapped as a toddler and he was kept away for many years and then they re-find him when he's a teenager, when he's 14, and he just doesn't recognise his parents and he's placed back with his parents and he just, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't recognise those people who made him, who created him. And it's a tragedy. He should be able to recognise them. They're they're his parents. It's a terrible thing. And they love him, they recognise him. The way that they find him is by the mum recognising the face. They sort of do these digital images as to what he would look like now and she's constantly upgrading these images so that she'd be able to recognise him. And that's how they find the child. She recognises the child but he doesn't recognise them. And it's a very... So half the movie is the child missing, the other half is them trying to adapt the child trying to adapt to come back to the parents. It's a terrible thing that the child doesn't recognise the parents, the creators, the makers of of that child. And so it is with humanity, with the world. It says there that they were made through him. Humans are made through Jesus Christ. But when he came to them, when he witnesses to them from creation, they don't recognise him as the creator. 
They don't recognise him and it's a terrible thing. And people do that today as well. Not just Pilate, not just people in the Gospels. We see that today around us every day, don't we? We see people who are made by God but not recognising their creator at all. They may have heard of Jesus Christ, they've seen the heavens, they've seen creation, but they don't recognise it as made by God and they don't recognise their creator. And it's a terrible tragedy. So that's the first division of the darkness. The second division is next verse along. So we've got verse 10 with the world. Then the next verse, verse 11, we have the, the division called his own. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Who is this own? These people of the darkness who do not receive Jesus, so they're, of course they must be part of the darkness, they're, they're not recognising the darkness, they're not, uh, they're not recognising the light, they're not understanding the light. Who are they? Well, it's obvious that they're the Jews. Who belongs to God? Who are his own? Well, it was the Jews. The Jews were God's special people throughout the Old Testament. And that passage we read from Exodus 6 talks about what God did for the Jews. He saved them from the, from the Egyptians. They were in bondage, in slavery to the Egyptians. And God came and redeemed them. He took them out with mighty wonders. They plundered the Egyptians. And then he gave them a promised land. And he constantly cared for them. He provided for them repeatedly. And, so, and he gave them... The, his word and his commandments which were a great blessing from God. And so these people, his own, should have been the ones when Jesus Christ came into the world to recognise him, to take him, to receive him and say, yes, you are our God. But what did they do? What does verse 11 say? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The Jews did not receive him. And so this is a greater tragedy than the world. The world is created through him and they don't recognise him, they don't take him. But here we have people who have been cared for 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 thousands of years by God and they don't recognise him when he comes and dwells among them. And so it is worse than a child that goes away and then comes back and doesn't recognise. It's it's like children who, who divorce their parents Parents who have cared for them and loved them for many years and then they decide, no, I don't want any part of you anymore. We've got some uh, friends and a brother of, of this friend has, has completely cut off the parents. And the, the thing is, this brother has actually bought a, a property, a, a duplex, and it's the other half of where the parents live. So they're actually living wall, they're just one wall separating them. And so they live in very close proximity he, at Christmas time he, he went away so he wouldn't be around because there's been such a disagreement in the family and he, he loved his father growing up. He had a great relationship with his father but now there's this complete hostility there and someone that was his own, that he cared for and loved, this father now has a son who doesn't want anything to do with him and that's even worse than people who have been created and not recognising. This is people who have been cared for and loved by, this per- and by a, a parent and no longer recognising anymore. And that's what God is doing. And we see this in other ways in our society with families as well. It is a terrible thing when an elderly parent gets dementia and no longer recognises the children, and the children who maybe cared for her for many years leading up to that time and maybe still care for that person, but they aren't recognised and the grandchildren aren't recognised anymore. And it's a terrible thing. Our own should recognise us. We know this. But we don't see that with Jesus Christ either. He came to his own, what does it say, verse 11? 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's an even greater tragedy there that people who are cared for by God no longer recognise God. And we see this to some extent uh, in, in the church today as well. We see people who come along to church each week and they, they hear from God's word, they're blessed by God's word, they hear it each week and they're blessed by the people that they come and meet with, they experience loving relationship, relationships with the people of God, but they've never received Jesus Christ for their own. And so they experience all this blessing, all this care from God, but they don't receive him. And that is a tragedy, just like the Jews. And there are many Jews today who still do not receive Jesus Christ. And so it is with the people, people who come along to Christian churches each week. There are many within Christian churches who experience all the blessings of God, all the care from God, but they don't actually receive Jesus for their own. So that's our, our group. We've got the darkness there and it's got two divisions there. We've got the, the world and we've got the Jews there, his own. Does these attempts by the, the Jews and the, the world to not recognise, to not receive Jesus Christ actually get them anywhere? Does it get them anywhere by not doing this? Well, it actually tells us in verse 5 that they don't get anywhere with this. What does it say in verse 5? The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And if we take that translation of not overcome it, the, the tense of that verb in the Greek is an aorist. And, and what that means, sometimes you can see them as an aorist where it takes a catch-all. It takes all the efforts, a whole lot of actions all together and puts them into one bundle and sums it all up in one, one word, one, one Greek verb. And so if we say it, it is that kind of an aorist, we can say that all these efforts by the darkness to swallow up the light, what does it do? It does not overcome it. And that's why it sort of goes into a perfect there in, in verse 5. It says it has not. It definitely hasn't done it. And so we know that the people who continually fail to recognise Jesus Christ, who continually reject him, do not receive him, they cannot overcome Jesus Christ and one day they will be called to account for what they've done. They are doomed, the Bible tells us. If they continue, continue in rejection of Jesus Christ, one day at the judgment throne, when all this order of things passes away, they will be called to give an account. And if they have not received Jesus Christ, if they have continued to just try and swallow him up and try and reject him from their lives, they will be called to account and punished for an eternity in hell. That's what this, this, this aorist tense there is saying. It has not overcome it. It never will. You cannot put all the efforts in the past and all the efforts in the present and all the efforts in the future. They will not be able to overcome Jesus Christ. One day it will catch up with them. And this is a good reminder for us that when we see people out there fighting against God with books like Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion and Christopher Hitchens' with God is Not Great, those kinds of efforts we might think, oh, what's going to happen to Christianity? But we know from church history that people have done far worse than write a bestseller book. They've killed Christians. They've burned them to death. They've torn them in two. They've mutilated them. They've suppressed writings in the past. They've banned books. They try and prevent uh, Christian publications from going out. But where is Christianity today? It is still here. Dremoyne Baptist is a witness of that that God continues to preserve it. The darkness tries to swallow it up at times, but it continues to be here. There have been predictions through history all the time saying, Christianity, oh, that'll fade out within a hundred years. But it's still here today and in some parts of the world going very, very strong. 
And so we know that the darkness has not overcome it and it never will. All that the world tries to do against it, it just can't do it. It can't suppress Christianity so that it goes away completely and it never will. And one day they will recognise what they have done because there will be a judgement day and they will be called to give an account. So we've got this group of the darkness and then we had two divisions within it. Now we've got a second group and there's two divisions within that as well. So it's kind of helpful that we've got um, two groups, two divisions, two groups, two divisions. The second group is of course the people of the light. They're the opposite of the darkness. And we have them kind of introduced to us in verse 4, before verse 5 there. In him was life and that life was the light of men. We've got people who are of the light. So they're the opposite of the darkness. These are the people of the light. And so who are these people? Well, we've got two divisions within these, these people of the light. And they're given to us in verse 12. So the verses 4 and 5 are kind of being explained. We've got a little interlude in 6 to 9 of, of about John the Baptist. But then we've got in verses 10 to 13, we've got this sort of extra bit that's kind of explaining verses 4 and 5. So we've got... In verse 10 we've got the world, in verse 11 we've got the Jews and then we've got the light people and and we know we're onto a different thing because of that little word yet in verse 12. See verse 12, it begins with yet and that can be translated but as well. So we know we're getting a comparison here. We're coming into something else and so we're coming into the people of the light. The people of the light. And who are they? Well we've got two divisions. The first one are those in verse 12 yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name. So we've got receivers and believers. We've got the people of the light and what are they characterised as doing? They are characterised as receiving and believing. They're the believers and receivers. These are the people who trust in Jesus Christ as their saviour. And what comes to them? What is the benefit of being a receiver and a believer of Jesus Christ? Well, the verse continues to explain. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. If you receive and believe in Jesus Christ, you have the right to become a child of God. It is a privilege. It could be translated there, privilege. You've got a privilege. You don't sort of demand your rights, but you've got this privilege given to you by God. If you receive and believe in him, you become a child of God. What does it mean to become a child of God? How do you become a child of God? Well, it's by receiving and believing, but John wants to make clear that it's not like any other sort of being born again. It's not like becoming any other sort of child. And so he goes through a list of negatives as to the usual ways that you become a child, that you're born. And so we have those in verse 13. We have three of them. The first way is there, it says, verse 13, children born not of natural descent. So how do you become a child usually? Well, you usually become a child of a descendant. So you become a descendant of someone. And this was a very important thing for the Jews particularly is to know who you were descended from because if you wanted to be a child of God you really had to be descended from Abraham. You had to sort of work your way back and be a part of the, the, the family of Abraham. And is this the case with Jesus Christ? No, it doesn't matter who you're descended from to become a child of God. It's not of natural descent. So that's the first thing. What's the other way that you might become a child of God that people might think? Next one in verse 13. Nor of human decision. Now the NIV there has done an interesting translation, nor of human decision. It actually reads literally, will of the flesh. 
And so some people say that there is definitely, there could be a, a sexual sense, sense there where it's will of the flesh. And that is sometimes how we have children, isn't it? That they're not necessarily expected, they weren't planned, and they just show up. And I apparently am one of those. My, my father was very much about having two children and so they had uh, two daughters and mum was delighted when I showed up. And that is the case. Not every child suddenly accidentally becomes a part of, uh, is planned to come into a family. It's accidental. And so it might be we think of children of God. Maybe you sort of accidentally become one. You just sort of naturally assimilated into being a part of the family of God. And we see here, what does it say? Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of will of the flesh. Not just an actual, you know, uh, it's just sort of accidentally coming along. And then the last way that it's not that you become a child of God, it says, or a husband's will. Now it says there husband, but the word in the Greek can actually mean both husband and man. So it could be the will of man. And so these, I, I take, we've got a nice little parallel going on here, of the planned ones. And so Jill and I are having one of those later this, uh, this year. We planned once I finished Bible college that we would have children and God has blessed us. Not, not all plans go, uh, go to plan. Uh, you have to pray about these things and they are a blessing from God. Every child is a blessing from God. But God has been gracious to us and given us one that we plan to have. And so some people might think that you can become a child of God by you doing everything, by planning to do it. And so it's all you. But no, it says here, nor uh, of a husband's will, nor of man's will, not of planning there. So how do you become a child of God? Well, it finishes there in verse 13. So we've got three negatives, but born of God. It is God's work to make you born again, to become a child of God. It is God's work. You receive and believe, but ultimately it is God there, working, rebirthing you, adopting you into his family. He's choosing to bring you in and make you a part of his family, not because you're uh, part of Abraham's family, not because he's sort of accidentally coming along, not because you really planned it and you wanted to be a child of God and you earnestly desired it and you worked at it. You might have done all these good things. You go to church on Sunday, you read your Bible every day, that kind of thing. You think you plan to get into being a part of God's family. No, you've got to go to God and he is the one who makes you a part of his family. You receive and believe, but God is the one who gives the rebirthing. He's the one who makes you born again. And so we've got this first division within the children of the light. What's the second division? What's the second one? And this kind of is a subdivision. So we've got the group there of the light, then we've got this, uh, this division here of people who receive and believe, and then under that we've got a little subdivision. And they are introduced to us in verse, uh, in verse 14, so the very next verse. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've got an interesting change there in, in, in person. Before this, John has been speaking in the third person. Now he suddenly starts using the word us and the word we. So previously he's been talking about these children of God and he's saying that as many want to come can be one of those by receiving and believing. Now we've got this change in person to us. So we've got this little subdivision. And it reads through in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then go down to verse 16. He continues with that, uh, that first person plural. 
From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. He's changed and he's starting to talk about himself. So we can take this, I think, quite clearly that John is talking about himself and the other disciples. These guys are part of a privileged group here who have experienced something that is fairly unique. What have they experienced? Well, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. They were privileged enough to see Jesus' glory. What does it mean to see Jesus' glory? How do we explain this? Well, uh, there's lots of uh, ways that Jesus' glory is shown in the, in the Gospels and is said to be Jesus' glory. There are examples when he does miracles, that's part of showing his glory. At his baptism, his glory was shown. Uh, when the, the dove descended upon him and the voice came from heaven, at his transfiguration, his glory was shown as well. And of course, at his death, his glory was being shown there as well. He was being glorified as he was lifted up and he was overcoming sin there on the cross and then at his resurrection he was being glorified as well. Has John got one of these in particular in, in view? Well, he may do, but I think he's, he's, he's probably taking the whole lot into one bag and saying we have seen his glory from his life, his death, his resurrection. We have seen his glory. We are part of a privileged group and we have seen his glory. And we continue to receive one blessing after another. Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. We continually, continuously think about what are the blessings from God and we recognise them. We receive one blessing after another. It reads literally in the, in the Greek there, grace instead of grace. It's usually uh, instead of. And so you've got grace, you've got a blessing from God and it's taken away and then another one immediately comes. So each grace that you get is replaced with another bit of grace. Each blessing that you get is replaced with another blessing. And that's what these people, these we, this us, these John and the disciples have experienced. They recognise these blessings as they come one after the other. Do we see these people today? Are there people today in this verse among us that have seen his glory and have experienced blessings? Well, of course, Christians, yes, we do experience uh, blessings one after another and we do know something of Jesus' glory but we don't know to the same extent that these disciples do. We don't know Jesus' glory in the same way that they do. We have a glimpse of it but we don't have it to the same extent and I don't think we recognise the blessings that God gives us to the same extent that these disciples did. The blessings that they saw one after another coming uh, as waves against the beach. As soon as it comes up another one comes and replaces it. I don't think we, we, we see it at the same extent but we do are jealous of them. See, sometimes people think, oh, it's not good to be jealous. But there are things that we are supposed to be jealous of. And God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his glory. He's jealous that people honour him. And we can be jealous and covet things that are right to covet. The Tenth Commandment is, you shall not covet, full stop. It, it explains what we shouldn't covet. And we can covet things like knowing more of God's glory. And so we see some people around us today. I have many heroes of the Christian faith who are alive today. And they know so much more of God's glory. They know so much more of Jesus, uh, of the words of the Bible and understand it so much better. And so I'm jealous of them, just as I'm jealous of the disciples who actually saw Jesus and spoke to him face to face. And so what does that do? It drives me to know more of him. It drives me to know more of his glory and to understand his blessings in the same way that these disciples understood his blessings. And the same way some of my heroes, they're constantly recognising the blessings. They may have all these sufferings coming on them, but they're constantly remembering the blessings. And in spite of the suffering, they're recognising the blessings. 
And so we have some people in that sort of group today who are gradually working towards what these disciples experienced and one day, of course, all Christians will experience this kind of thing that the disciples experienced there because one day we will see Jesus face to face. We will experience that when we go to heaven and we dwell with him forever in eternity there in heaven with him face to face and constantly see his blessings. So we've got two groups, the light and the darkness, two divisions within each. We've got the Jews and the world and then we've got the light and we've got the, the, uh, the receivers and the believers and then we've got a sort of a subdivision under there of the people who, the John and the disciples, who, who recognise the blessings, who know so much more of Jesus' glory than we do. So my question for you this morning is, which division are you a part of? Which division are you a part of? Are you a part of the darkness? Are you a part of the division of the world? That you're a part of that darkness and you're not recognising your creator? God has made each and every one of us and he has come to each and every one of us. He witnesses to us in creation. He witnesses to us in these historically reliable documents. If you could prove that the Bible was historically unreliable, you would erode the foundation of Christianity. But Jesus has come to us. Are you constantly fighting against him, trying to overcome him, not recognising him? Are you part of that division that is like the Jews? You come to church each week. And yet you don't, you experience all this blessing, all this care from God, you hear his word, but you don't receive him for yourself. Let me warn you, if you're part of that, either of those two divisions, if you're part of that group of the darkness, you can't overcome it. Eventually you will be called to account and there will be an eternal punishment for you. Or are you a part of the light? Are you a part of the light, the group of the light? Are you just uh, one of those people who have been born again, who have received and believed, born not of natural descent nor a human decision, um, the will of the flesh, but you're born of God? Well then, yes, you do have life and that is a wonderful thing to, to remember, that you've got eternal life in heaven. Are you part of that division? Or are you part of that final division? that You're sort of not in because we can't really be in, but you're wanting to be. You're wanting to be... You wish you were born maybe 2,000 years earlier so you could have been there when Jesus was there. And so because you weren't, you're constantly seeking to read his word, to understand him as much as you can so that you can be part of this us, these people who have seen the glory of the one and only. And when you experience blessings, you recognise them for what they are. And when one blessing is removed, you're constantly looking for the next blessing. What's the blessing that God's given me today? You want to be part of that group of the disciples. I hope that's where you are. You're part of the born again group, but you're not content to just stay born again and some sort of fleshy Christian that's just uh, very weak, but that you're wanting to be like these disciples. So you're constant in your reading of your word. You're constant in the reading, uh, in praying to God and establishing that relationship with him even more and more. And you're constantly wanting to be at church and be around other believers because that's what it is to be a part of a church. You're around those other believers who can encourage you. There's not just John the disciple and that was it. There were disciples. There were many to encourage each other and we're jealous of them that they had each other and they could encourage one another. And so we should be wanting to be with other disciples of Jesus Christ who are here today. We want to be part of that group. And we can be to some extent until that final day when we get to be in heaven and see Jesus face to face in a way we've never comprehended before. I hope that is the 
desire of all the people here at Des Moines Baptist Church, all the born again Christians, all the receivers and believers, that they're not just content to be born again, but they want to be part of that group. They're jealous. They covet the relationship that those disciples had with God, they had with Jesus. And they're constantly seeking to build themselves up and and recognise God's glory for what it is. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. It is a wonderful thing and we are jealous of those disciples who were there and spoke with him every day. They lived with him. They saw his, his sinless life. Oh, what a privilege, Lord, it was for them. And what an honour. Oh, Lord, we are jealous of them and we covet their relationship with you. And we covet the relationship that so many people that we see around the world today have with you. They are such strong, godly men and women who know your grace. They recognise the blessings coming in one after the other and no matter what trial or temptation may come along, they seem to be able to resist it. Lord, we pray that we will want to be a part of that group, part of those who see your glory, who grow in knowledge of your glory. We pray that we'll be more faithful readers of our Bibles this 2009. We've got a new year before us. Pray that we will be growing in in our relationships with you, Lord, and that we'll recognise the blessings when they come. We pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, who is a part of the darkness. We pray that they'll recognise you as their creator, that you have made them, that their sins are being counted against them, and one day they will be called to give an account. We pray that they will not fail to recognise their sin for what it is, but instead turn, understand you, recognise you and receive and believe in you so that they too have eternal life and are welcomed into your family, that they are born of you and become children of the light. And We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.